Uh, Nathan. Sorry. That's me. What is your favorite romantic comedy? Ooh. Um, I don't know. That's a, it's pretty broad. That depends on what you define as a comedy, a romantic comedy specifically. Um, League of Blonde is cool, uh, if that counts. Uh, what are you trying Definitely to mouth to me? Count. My betrothed. Ah, Crazy Stupid Love is a... Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Actually I, that I, I, I enjoy that one. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot. Actually, you vehemently excluded Legally Blonde from it's rom-com. It's not a romantic or, comedy. So that's what I was saying, right? It's, it's not like, like more comedy. It, it's more, yeah. Or it, like... It's like the anti-romantic anti comedy, romantic comedy type of situation. Sure. That's a very for answer, so... Fine. Why don't you tell us what y'all mean by that? I mean, because the whole point of it is that she starts being in love with the guy and trying to do everything to get the guy, but then right. it kind of And then she realizes she wants to, to do it for herself, like, yes. and so then it's all women empowerment yeah. and like, mm, yeah. bye. Okay, yeah, she no, still finds love with the other guy, but it's it's not that's, the whole movie is not about the the, Jake. The, Jake, shh, right? Shh. You're not a part of this conversation. Stop trying to sound. Uh, same same with Scott Pilgrim. <clears throat> Oh my God, Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also vehemently saying Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is not a romantic comedy. Okay. No, story. I'm saying that it similarly <laughs> is a, supposed to be about the guy trying to get the girl, but then kind of clumsily, but uh, turns into like it becomes like him understanding that, that he needs to, the of try to try to get himself together. Sure. <laughs> what is your favorite romantic comedy? Honestly, Crazy Stupid Love is pretty high up there. It's a it's a it's a terrific rom com. Brilliant. We really have a broad spectrum David of Lee favorite Hogan. rom-coms up here. From like. Crazy Stupid Love to Crazy Stupid Love? Right. Yep. Okay. And really, what yeah. is yours? Um, I mean, Pride and Prejudice is like very close to my heart. <laughs> and I think it's funny, although not everybody thinks it's funny, if you don't get it. In its day, the book was considered quite hilarious. Yes, so mm -hmm. I'm going to go with that. And I'm okay. also basically like 105 years old, so it was in my day. Which Pride and Prejudice? Um, the Kira Knightley one. Okay. Hands down. Hands down. Yes, one thousand. Uh, Don't I even bring up the other one. I prefer not the film, but the book. Obviously, sure. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Right. Obviously, it's um, terrific rom com. Yes. So, zombie rom com. Z yes, yes. Again, the <laughs> the spectrum is just broadening. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, uh, Stacy in the chat saying Pride and Prejudice is so witty. Yes, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's like God, so much. It's yeah, it's just cute. So that or like. Basically, any movie where I get to cry makes me really enjoy so it. So Armageddon? Sure. I don't want to close my eyes. The Dark Knight yeah. Rises makes yes. me cry. So We're just really relabeling what a rom-com is. adopted the tears. I was born with them. <laughs> yeah. So, or The Good Dinosaur. Yeah. Oh, good. Hey, saying Clueless times a... Th Clueless is a rom-com? Clueless. I feel like Clueless is also the anti-rom-com. Like, right. Women it, it empowerment. Like forges its own path. I would have said yeah. it's like a teen coming-of-age movie. It's, yeah. it's, it's a few different Less things rolled into one. It's everything and, and nothing passes. all at the same time. It is everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Great rom-com. See what I did there? Yes. Great rom-com. Yeah, I cried in that one, so it's a There you go. Oh, there you go. It falls under the category, yep. Very upsetting. <laughs> All right, well, uh, it is time almost. Oh, no, we got time. We still got time yeah, to argue about time. this. We'll just keep talking. I know. So, okay, so I, I used to, let me throw this out there. No. Do, to, <laughs> to be considered a rom-com, does, does it need to sit in the female point of view? Oh. No, because Scott Pilgrim. But you said it's not a rom-com. Okay, yeah, because I hate the movie, but like that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't matter. Okay, so Ashley's, if it makes me cry, it's a rom com. If I hate it, it's not a rom com. Correct. <laughs> they, these are the only correct terms okay. so by which. The only okay, movies yeah. you like are movies that make you cry. Yes, actually, that's probably accurate. <laughs> <laughs> or feel sad in some way. Okay, okay. I'm a four, if you guys didn't know that. I like crying. I don't know what that means. But. Okay, sure. Well, go back to some of our other sermons. You'll know what that means. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that yeah. uh, it's often that that genre is, uh, I feel like that's the, the corporate people think that that is a, like, female-dominated genre or, or a genre sure. that is 
that leans that way. So oftentimes, a lot of films tend, that are in that space tend to be coming from that direction. But, I mean, there's plenty that are not, right? Um, yeah. Like Sleepless in Sla Seattle, You Got Mail, uh, Harry Met Sally. I was going to say, Failure like, to Launch you, is from Matthew McConaughey's perspective, exactly. really. Like, but, like, that's definitely, like, typical rom-com. Yeah, but okay. I think also, okay. too, you're running into the fact that any film that involves a woman having a decent amount of lines and any sort of focus onto her character right. would be considered a, like, from their perspective. But what about something like The Devil Wears Prada? That's not a rom-com. Like, but very much yeah. a female-centric film. Yeah. Yes. Passes the Bechdel test. Yeah. Sure. But, like, it doesn't, it's not, I wouldn't label that a rom-com. Right, yeah. yeah. It's more of, like, I mean, it's a female-dominated. I Okay, so how about this? Some rom-coms could have a female's perspective, like, uh, be from the female's perspective, but not every movie that is from a female's perspective is a rom-com. Right. right. Yes. Uh, one, last question. Question. one last question before we begin. Uh, Stacy wants to know if we think The Princess Bride counts as a rom-com. Sure. It makes me cry, so yes, it falls because into the rom-com category. Where do you cry when he dies? Um, Spoiler. You know he's only mostly dead. <laughs> no, just the like, it's a, it's a beautiful story. I don't know, I like it. Yeah, but at what part makes you cry? Um... There were five great kisses in the history of the world. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. Does but it I've definitely cried during it. Does it make you cry more than The Princess Diaries? Princess Diaries doesn't make me cry. Oh. Also not a rom-com, right? Also coming not a rom-com. Yeah. Ha, exactly. coming of age movie, right. Okay, exactly. well, uh, it's time to get started. So I think I'm going to excuse myself and hand it over to you two. Sounds great. I'm also going to excuse myself. Goodbye. Good morning, everybody. I'm Ashley. My name is Ashley. I'm part of the teaching team here at Catalyst. Um, and this morning, we've already talked a little bit about rom-coms and um, all of those kinds of things. I obviously mentioned this uh, just a few minutes ago, but um, I really enjoy crying and feeling big, heavy things. Um, it's really who I am as a person. Uh, so... In that same vein, I really love books and conversations and movies like rom-coms that kind of make you cry. It's like really cathartic and it just, you know, it makes you feel good, um, in my opinion. Uh, and, and I think one of the best rom-coms um, is The Notebook. Um, it, there's a scene in it, it's probably the scene that you guys thought about when I said The Notebook, that just really gets me every time where he like, she's kind of trying to run away from their love and he like runs after her. So they're standing out by his car, this one, this scene right here. Um, and he's like, you know, what do you want? You know, and yes, yeah, see, Nathan's doing it. Um, and she's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, I know what I want. I want all of you forever. And, and yeah, and it's like that just really beautiful, like, display of love, and it just brings a tear to my eye just talking about it. Uh, and so as I was preparing this sermon, that is, like, the scene. It just kept replaying over and over in my head. And I just kept thinking, like, man, that's such a beautiful image of, like, God's love for us because God sounds so corny saying it sitting here, but, you know, whatever. I'm going with it. Um, just that whole idea where, you know, we try to run from it, and then he kind of chases after us, and this, like, really beautiful image of God's love. And, yeah, I mean, there you go. Uh, that's all. That's, that's what God's love is, and uh, just your, go ahead and watch that movie this week. Think about what it's like to, for God's love to be like that for you, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Uh, Obviously, that was a joke. Um, but I think so often we talk about God's love and how God loves us in that same kind of way. Or we come to church and we kind of treat it like going to a movie, right? We kind of hold the message or really about how much God loves us. We kind of hold it at arm's length and we watch it. And maybe it brings a tear to your eye while you're sitting here. Um, and then the movie ends or the sermon ends or whatever, and you are like, all right, that was real cathartic. I cried a little bit, and now I'm going to go home and go back to my normal life. Um, I think, I mean, I know I do that, and so maybe you guys do that too. Um, and I think it's a lot easier to do that. It's, it's really hard um, to let that penetrate your heart. Um, 
I think if I really sit down and think about it, um, do I really believe that God loves me? I mean, the obvious answer is, of course I do, because I'm sitting up here, and I have a shirt that says faith on it, so, like, obviously, that um, is what I believe. Um, but, like, if I really think about it, like, do I? Uh, the honest answer is probably not. Um, no, not probably not, like, no. It's like a firm no. <laughs> um, and if that's the case, I don't really feel like I should be here at all, because if I'm honest, like, I'm not a perfect Christian, I don't have everything figured out, and I'm kind of hoping that you guys feel the same. Otherwise, you can just stop listening right now because that's who I am. I'm not, I'm not a perfect Christian. So um, I really struggled with this um, sermon and writing it uh, for that reason. So because of that, I want, I want to pose a question to you guys, right? What if, if, just in this hypothetical world, what if living into that reality of God's love and like really letting it, change you, um, and like really letting it sink in. Um, what if that is actually the way to what is like real faith or actual true transformation? Like, what would that look like for you? Can you imagine what it would be like to always, no matter what situation came up, feel loved? Would that change you? Would that change how you acted to yourself when you, were, when you were alone? Would it change how you interacted with people? Because I know for me, it, it definitely would. Um, what if I treated God's love less like a movie theater and more like the real thing? Um, I think that would make a big difference for me. So... We're going to talk about that today, um, and maybe you'll cry, or maybe you won't. It's okay. This doesn't have to be a rom-com. Um, so yeah, let's meditate on that a little bit. Um, really keep that image of what you, how you feel like your life would change if, uh, if you really felt like God loved you. This uh, series that we're in is called uh, Black Sheep. And um, it's kind of about those Christians who feel like they don't fit in. And I know a lot of people like that. They feel kind of like the black sheep. Um, and it's, it's not normally, it's not from the culture. It's actually more like they feel like the odd one out from the church. Um, this isn't necessarily like a new thing, but it used to be, well, if you felt distance from the church, it's because you're drifting from your faith or you're becoming not a good Christian or something like that. Today, though, I think a lot of people who feel this kind of sense of isolation or like being the weird one or being the odd one out, it's not actually because of a weak faith, but it's actually more the opposite, where they're not drifting, but they're really trying to dive deeper into their faith and really be faithful to the word or whatever. And it kind of makes you feel like an outsider with other people who say they love Jesus or represent him, and then you kind of look at their actions, and they don't really look very much like Jesus at all. Um, and in this, so Jeremiah, who's uh, the prophet that we're talking about during this series, it's, uh, he had the same experience. Um, he lived during the years uh, leading up to the exile, and the exile for um, the uh, nation of Judah was like one of two very formative events in their history. Um, so Jeremiah was kind of born into this world that was living under the shadow of this really big empire. It's called the Babylonian Empire. So it's this really big nation, with like a lot of military power, a lot of stuff like that. And Judah was this little tiny nation um, and kind of living right next to them. And so in, the, in Jeremiah's time, Judah is doing all of this stuff to make them, I don't know, more secure so that Babylon wouldn't conquer them, right? So they're like paying, they're making payments to the emperor um, as like, uh, hey, like, don't conquer us. We'll, we'll pay you. Just leave us alone. And they still didn't feel secure in that, right? So then they're like, okay, well, we're going to kind of enter into these alliances. We're going to kind of build up a coalition type thing to be stronger. So, you know, we're stronger together. Um, so that way Babylon, you know, will just leave us alone. 
And what this essentially meant is, okay, we're going to go to this neighboring nation and they serve a different God. So as like a, a sign of good faith, we're going to adopt y'all's gods and we'll give you ours. And um, it's kind of this cultural exchange. And so they all kind of so this nation, that kind of Judah, who is only supposed to be serving God, then kind of ends up serving all of these other ones to, um, to kind of make them feel more secure, right? And so this is obviously a, a big point of contention because for years and years and years, all the people of Judah, all they heard was um, don't participate in idolatry. It's a violation of the covenant. And that's what this was, uh, as a form of idolatry where they're serving these other gods. And not only was it a violation of the covenant, not only was it idolatry, but it was also this real sign and real tangible signal that God's people didn't trust that God was going to protect them or preserve them or provide for them. Um, and so these people, uh, the people of Judah, continued to kind of say, yes, we trust God, yes, we um, believe God is going to protect us. Yes, all of these things. Um, but it kind of just ended up being lip service, right? Because all of their actions showed that they would rather trust the power of these other nations around them to protect them, right? This, I think, sounds pretty similar to a lot of things in our culture as well, where we say, oh yes, we trust God to protect us, whatever, um, care for us, provide for us, but I need to work 60 hours a week, otherwise, you know, I won't be provided for, or stuff like that. So we're spending a couple months with Jeremiah to learn from him, um, to try to bear witness to Jeremiah's faithfulness um, and see what we can learn from Jeremiah, who also, in the same way, was kind of the black sheep, right? Um, and see what we can learn from him. So our first week, we kind of began by looking at how a prophet works and how his work is grounded in this kind of deep knowledge of and love for God. Um, this is a, like really important, mostly because when prophets come and they tell everybody that they're doing things wrong, um, people don't really like them. So you really have to love God <laughs> to um, be saying, to, to really be pointing these things out and living in a way like Jeremiah lived. Um, and also because people normally ignore the prophets until this big tragedy strikes and then it kind of hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So then last week we saw that God hates idolatry, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And the reason God hates idolatry is not because God is, you know, jealous or petty or anything like that, but really it's because um, who you worship is who you are, right? Um, and so it, if you are not worshiping God, then it's going to warp you away from God. It's going to change who you are. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we talked about last week. And so this idolatry that we talked about last week for God's people became this kind of cyclical cycle, right? Uh, or cyc is cyclical in nature, right? So we see God chasing after God's people over and over and over again. And after a while, God's people will come, come back. They'll, they'll turn back to God and um, worship him for a little bit. And then after some period of time, they'll kind of turn to other false gods. Again, it just happens over and over until disaster strikes, which for Jeremiah was the exile and Babylon kind of coming in and conquering um, Judah. So uh, go ahead and turn with us to Deuteronomy 24. Um, today's passage, so like while you're clicking over there, today's passage is uh, kind of, Jeremiah is kind of riffing off of this one. So we're going to read this one first, and then you'll see how Jeremiah um, kind of uses it in his own context. Um, to give you, like while you're clicking or um, turning over there, um, some background on Deuteronomy, uh, there are really two main things you need to know. First, you need to think of the Torah, which is where De Deuteronomy is a part of this, these five books that are called the Torah. Um, the Torah for the nation of Judah was kind of like uh, the constitution for God's people, kind of like how we see our constitution. So it, it outlined how society um, was set up, how society was governed, right? Unlike our constitution, um, Deuteronomy uh, as the Torah kind of also outlined and it functioned to regulate all interpersonal relationships as well. 
So Nathan's my friend. It would regulate how we interact. Um, it would regulate our marriages, uh, parent-child relationships, stuff like that. It regulated all of those interpersonal relationships. So if there was ever conflict, so if anybody ever broke the law, you know, somebody murdered somebody or stole something, or if you needed to get divorced or deal with adultery or anything like that, this is where you're going to go. You're going to go to Deuteronomy. So let's go ahead and read in Deuteronomy 24. We're going to start in verse 1 because, again, it's going to help us kind of understand our reading in Jeremiah today. So it says, Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. So having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, so writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away, or if he dies, then the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. Uh, that would be detestable to the Lord. So that is uh, the verse that Jeremiah um, is going to be riffing on. And so basically it, it says exactly that. If, if a couple gets divorced and the woman remarries um, and then they get divorced, the first man can't take her back. That original husband is prohibited. Like she could literally marry anybody else but that one, okay? Uh, so let's flip over to Jeremiah 3. Um, it's going to be on page 448 if you grabbed a free Bible out of the back. Um, so Jeremiah actually cites this in his condemnation of God's people for their idolatry. So let's go ahead and read. <clears throat> it says, If a man divorces a woman and she goes and marries someone else, he will not take her back again, for that would surely corrupt the land. That's that um, verse in Deuteronomy 24. He's referencing what we just read. But you, God's people, have prostituted yourself with many lovers. So why are you trying to come back to me, says the Lord? Again, they should all know. This is God's law, right? They should all know. You can't go back to the first husband. So like, God's like, yo, homie, why are you trying to come back? Like, we can't do that. So uh, if you read on, it says, look at the shrines on every hilltop. Is there any place you have not been defiled by your adultery with other gods? You sit like a prostitute beside the road waiting for a customer. You sit alone like a nomad in the desert. You have polluted the land with your prostitution and your wickedness. So Jeremiah really coming in hard there. He, <laughs> I mean, he's really putting out what we just read, right? They should all know this. They've had to go to Deuteronomy repeatedly for literally any conflict in however many hundreds of years since the, these laws were given and written, right? And so this kind of metaphor of marriage, right? So uh, we talked a little bit last week, but if you guys weren't here with us last week, um, God's people regularly use the metaphor of marriage to describe their relationship with God, right? So um, God's people are kind of like the bride and God is kind of like the groom and they kind of entered into this covenant, this agreement of what their relationship was going to look like, right? They thought of themselves as God's bride. And in terms of this like marriage metaphor, idolatry is essentially cheating. Like they cheated on God. They got into bed with other gods, if you will. Um, and for all intents and purposes, getting into bed is basically marrying um, in this culture. Okay. So according to, to Deuteronomy, which we just read just a little bit ago, this is God's law. Remember, God gave this law. God is obligated, not only like, oh, you cheated on me, so I don't want to be with you, but like legally obligated to refuse to take them back. God's like, all right, you cheated on me. You can literally have any other God at this point, just not me. Like that's, that's it. You've, you've cheated on me. We're not married anymore. We're done. So keeping that in mind, let's skip down to verse 12 in that same chapter in Jeremiah. It says, therefore, Go and give this message to Israel. This is what the Lord says. So he's saying this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go give this message. O Israel, my faithless people, you cheated on me. Remember, he's pointing this out. Come home to me again, for I am merciful. I will not be angry with you forever. So, big surprise, right? God takes God's people back, right? That's not a surprise. This happens over and over in the Bible. But what's really interesting, actually, as a part of this, is that not only is God like taking God's people back, but he is disobeying his own law. He's literally breaking his own law to take his people back. 
So it's illegal and um, arguably kind of reckless, right? Because they've cheated and, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater, right? That kind of idea. So it's like this kind of reckless, illegal thing where God is taking God's people back. And that's kind of a really amazing and wonderful idea, right? Of God's, it's like a really wholesome, holy view of God's love for God's own people. And even more so, Jeremiah then goes on to offer this really powerful vision of what it might look like for God's people to accept God's love, right? And like we talked about in the welcome, like really be changed and transformed by God's love. Let's go on and skip down to verse 14 and says, uh, return home, you wayward children, says the Lord, for I am your master. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, one from this town and two from that family, from wherever they're scattered. And I will give you shepherds after, your, after my own heart, who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. And when your land is once more filled with people, says the Lord, you will no longer wish for the good old days when you possess the ark of the Lord's covenant. You will not miss those days or even remember them, and there will be no need to rebuild the ark. And in that day, Jerusalem will be known as the throne of the Lord. All nations will come there to honor the Lord. They will no longer stubbornly follow their own evil desires. And in those days, the people of Judah and Israel will return together from exile in the north. They will return to the land I gave your ancestors as an inheritance forever. And I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. And I looked forward to your calling me father, and I wanted you never to turn from me. But you have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faceless wife who leaves her husband. I, the Lord, have spoken. Voices are heard on high on the windswept mountains, the weeping and pleading of Israel's people, for they have chosen crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord their God. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me and I will heal your wayward hearts. <clears throat> okay, that was a lot of words. So here's the new Ashley translation. Despite God's law stating that God is required to turn God's people away because of their cheating, their adultery, their faithlessness, God doesn't, right? And even more than that, it's not like, fine, you know, like this begrudging acceptance. It's this acceptance with open arms. Again, this arguably kind of reckless acceptance. Um, and the way it's written, we're not going to go into it, but the way it's actually written is really interesting because it mirrors the like original covenant that was written. So it's, it's almost like God's like trying to renew their vows. Like we're going to go through a whole, a whole new ceremony again, and we're going to renew our vows together, like renewing our love and all of that kind of stuff. Like we're recommitting to each other. It's this really beautiful, really holy, really godly form of love. I mean, that's amazing. You don't see that when people cheat. I mean, that doesn't happen typically with people, right? So this is supposed to be amazing news, right? Like, okay, I've kind of drifted. This is great. God still loves me. It's kind of like that part in the notebook where you're watching it and you're like, man, like he's have his, this beautiful declaration of love and your heart just really swells. And you're like, man, I want to say yes to him. This girl better say yes to him. Like, come on. That's the kind of love that is, right? If you really think about it. So let's Hang, hang in that moment. We're going to sing a song and we're just going to meditate kind of and think about and sing about this amazing kind of reckless love of God that follows us um, wherever we go, right? So can I be vulnerable with you guys for a second? My uh, initial reaction uh, when I kind of read this uh, part in Jeremiah, um, this like really beautiful amazing, holy, godly declaration of love that is like very other than kind of any human declaration of love. So my initial reaction was, well, I mean, if God loves everybody, like no matter what they do, right, then why should I care? Why does changing like really matter? Might as well keep doing what I'm doing because it's easier than like changing is pretty hard. Might as well just kind of doing what I'm doing. Yeah, so 
that makes me feel really shameful, right? Um, and when JR and I were kind of preparing this sermon, that's really what I was just kind of hanging out in my shame. And the people actually respond to Jeremiah's message in almost the exact same way. Um, they say, yes, we're coming, the people reply, for you are the Lord our God. Our worship of idols, our idolatry, our cheating on the hills and our religious orgies on the mountains, they're a delusion. Only in the Lord our God will Israel ever find salvation. From childhood, we have watched as everything our ancestors worked for, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters, was squandered on a delusion. Let us now lie down in our shame and cover ourselves with dishonor, for we and our ancestors have sinned against the Lord. From our childhood to this day, we have never obeyed him. So, just like the people of God, we might as well just lie down in our shame, cover ourselves with our disgrace. I mean, every time I hear that God loves me, right? You hear it all the time. It's literally in like every song that we sing here, any like religious song ever sings about God's love. It's in like, I'm going to say 98.5% of the Bible. Like, it's everywhere. We talk about it all the time. Like, I'm wearing this shirt, so like I should know, right? So then why, when I hear about God's love for me, uh, his declaration of his love for me, do I just feel shame at my reaction to it? Instead of like celebrating, oh my God, like I'm loved and feeling loved and celebrating that feeling. That's something that I've like really struggled with when writing this and, and leading up to this week and really going through this series is like, why do I not feel loved by God? And I hope that you guys are also struggling with that. Now, I'm going to tell you this parable, and bear with me for a second because this does actually relate. Um, but Jesus tells this parable in one of the Gospels, and it's essentially called like the parable of day laborers, a parable of uh, day workers, basically. So it goes like this. Jesus goes up to a couple guys for first thing in the morning, right, an hour before work, and he says, hey, I'll give you $100 if you work, work for me today. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll work for you today. So then about midday, Jesus does the same thing, right? He goes to a couple of other guys and says, hey, I'll give you guys each $100 if you come work for me for the day. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I mean, it's just four more hours. Sure, why not? So then an hour before the end of the day, he goes up to some other guys and he's like, hey, I will also give you guys $100 to work for me for the rest of the day. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure. It's easy money, like just like an hour. All right, fine, whatevs. And so everybody's cool with it, right? Even the half-day people, the, day, the people who've been working all day, they're like, they're cool with what's going on. Until the last group, where it's like, dude, you cheated us. Like, why are they getting $100 for only working an hour, but I've had to work eight hours, and I'm still only getting $100? That feels wrong. So that's the story, and Jesus has this whole thing that he does in the, in the Gospels about it, and it's a whole thing. But if you think about that story... Um, it really applies here as well. So if I think about myself and how I fit into that parable, I'm kind of like at the very beginning before Jesus talks to anybody, he like comes up to me and he's like, hey, I'll give you $100 if you work for me. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I think I'm asleep today. And he's like, all right, cool. You do you, boo. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll be over here. And so then he moves on. He asks all these other people, right? Um, hey, you know, you know, he does the whole thing. And then at the end of the story, I'm over here chilling, and I'm like, wait a second, why did they get $100 and I didn't get $100? What the heck? And so that is essentially how I act every time I'm presented with God's love. I basically say, no, or I like kind of hold that arm's length, or I just never really let it sink in. And then later, when I don't have $100, or I don't feel loved, then I, I kind of get mad at God about it. I'm kind of like... I'm kind of mad about it, right? Because the feeling unloved is really hard, right? Like it's not something that is a wonderful feeling that you want to hang out in. And saying it out loud sounds completely ridiculous, but I never got up here and said that I would sound smart, so really jokes on you. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> what's worse about this is that when JR and I started going through this, 
um, sermon and going through this scripture and stuff and trying to write this, I realized that this idea where I like kind of hide in my shame, so like I don't feel loved, and so I'm like, God, I'm the worst. Like God literally loves me. Why? And then I just feel really ashamed about it, and I like question, like why don't I feel this way? Oh my God! And then I feel really ashamed, and maybe I cry a little bit, shed a couple tears, and then go back living like I'm not loved, right? Um, is just another form of idolatry. Like it's the exact same thing that the people of God were doing. This like cyclical nature of wanting things to be different and then never actually doing anything to make them different and just feeling bad about that they're not different. It's still keeping me away from God's love. Like it's, it's the exact same thing. It's like the thing that is made by me, right? Like it's not, I'm not worshiping other gods. It's a thing, a thing I've built, but it's still 100% in the way of real transformation of like really feeling loved. So in this situation, I am not at all like Jeremiah. I'm not the good guy who's like actually doing the things that are right and uh, telling all of the people that like, hey, you guys are doing this wrong. You should do it this other way. And like this series is kind of like about being the Jeremiah. So I wanted so bad when I was writing this to be Jeremiah and be like, yeah, you guys are doing this wrong. This is the way to do it. You got to wear faith on your shirt. Like this is how you're supposed to do it. Because, like, I wanted the moral high ground, right? I wanted to be the good guy. I, I wasn't, I'm not like those people who are faithless, who, like, cheated on God and constantly turned from him. Like, I'm the good guy. I'm doing everything right. But, like, the reality, like, maybe I'm not worshiping other gods, but I am still ignoring all of God's love anyways, right? Constantly living as though God is not there saying, what do you want, Right? Even when my husband said he loved me, or my friends said they loved me, or my family, or whatever, like, I, it, that didn't penetrate my heart. I never let myself really feel that. And God actually responds to that in Jeremiah 4. He says, Oh, Israel, if you wanted to return to me, you could. You could throw away your detestable idols and stray away no more. In other words, I can participate in this true transformation because this detestable idol is actually something I've created. This thing that I've created is actually stopping me from being loved. Um, when God presents you with love, the response is not covering yourself in shame and hiding in your disgrace like the Israelites do. Um, the response isn't even necessarily celebration because sometimes you can't, right? Sometimes you can't celebrate that. The response is exactly what Jeremiah 4 says here, what God says to God's people, throwing away your idols, including the hiding in your shame and disgrace idol including holding things at arm's length, including acting like this is a movie theater and coming to just be entertained until you need to go home. Those are all idols that are keeping us from really feeling loved. And that true feeling of love is what begets transformation. And I think we hear that regularly too. Right? We talk about that all the time, what true transformation looks like and imagining it and everything, but are we actually letting ourselves feel that? I know I'm not always. I think instead of that, normally I just come to church and kind of use it like a pressure valve. I'm like, okay, cry a little bit. It's really cathartic. feel better. I'm going to go back to my normal life. Instead of doing what Jeremiah 4 says here and throwing away your idols. And like Jesus says, picking up your cross and coming to the table, right? As we enter into communion, I know it's difficult to hear that I am the one keeping myself from God's loving embrace or, or you are the one keeping yourself from God's loving embrace. 
But I'm here to remind you that when you come to the table, God provides everything that you need. God provides everything you need to enter into that love and mercy. Communion. Communion provides sustenance for this gnawing, aching part of ourselves that, that just hopes and yearns for God's love. So before we partake in communion, we're going to um, participate in a prayer of examine where essentially I'm going to ask a couple of questions and I'm going to give you time to meditate on them, think about them, and then I'll pray for us and uh, we'll participate in communion. So the first question is, in the last week, how have you received God's love for you? And the second question is, in the last week, what barriers might keep you from God's love? And yes, that includes the ones you may have built for yourself. Now, in the upcoming week, what barriers might continue to keep you from God's love? And yes, that includes the ones you may have built for yourself. And finally, <clears throat> in the upcoming week, how can you build in time for reminders of God's love and mercy towards you? What does that look like for you this week? Let's pray together. God, we come to you in this time of communion, and we ask you for help. We desperately want to believe in your love for us, and we want to receive that love and that mercy. But we find ourselves stuck in our own unbelief. So we come to you this morning humbled. We believe. We want to believe, God, so please help our unbelief. We know all about your loving kindness. And even though we know about it, would you help us feel it? Enable our hearts to receive it. And this morning, as we receive these elements, we pray that they might become a spiritual food for us. So that that loving kindness and grace that we receive can begin a transformation in us that cannot be stopped. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples. And during the meal, he broke bread and he gave it to, the, to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat it. 
And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, as y'all are going, I wanted to offer a thank you to everyone who's giving here at Catalyst still. Um, we know that, uh, that it's tricky for a lot of folks right now, and so we appreciate those who are able to continue giving, especially because it's been a tight summer for us here at the church as well. And so uh, if you didn't see the post-summer financial update, that's in our newsletter and our Facebook group and all of that, so please make sure you get a chance to see that. Um, but again, I just want to say thank you to all of our, our folks who are giving. We really, really, really appreciate you enabling us to create this space. And then also, obviously, to all of our volunteers who create both the space here in the building and our online space, uh, we're, we're really grateful for that as well. Um, now, this is definitely not a rom-com, but have you seen Goodwill Hunting? Yeah. Yeah, right? It's a good one. Uh, I mean, it makes me cry. So, rom-com. Oh, so it is a rom-com because yes, it makes you cry. Got it. Okay, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have Ryan Gosling, though, so may, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's a give that, and take. It's in that gray area. Yeah, okay. kind of in the middle. Um, you know, you, you were talking in your message, and you know, I, I know it resonated with a lot of us about just how difficult it is to believe that very simple baseline truth that God loves us. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I was thinking about the spiritual practice of meditation. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's like that scene in Good Will Hunting where Will is talking to his counselor, played by the late great Robin Williams, and he, say, he just looks at him and he says, it's not your fault, Will. And he's like, yeah, I know. Yeah. And then he says again, it's not your fault, Will. And he's like, yeah, yeah I know. And he's like, it's not your fault, Will. And he just keeps saying it over yeah. and over. Mm -hmm. And then Will Hunting gets angry, yes, right? He's right. like, stop, stop saying right. that. I know, I get right? it. Yeah, yeah, before he finally breaks down. And of course you realize he didn't get it, right? He did yes. believe deep down that it, whatever it was, right? Watch the movie, no spoilers, right. was his fault. Yeah. And, and this became, it was, it was a message that had to be repeated in a very simple, straightforward way over and over and over and over yeah. um, before it could pierce through the armor that he had right. put up. And that's that's honestly just what I kept thinking about as you were talking, yeah. right? Because this is such a simple, straightforward message that intellectually we all know, we've all heard it right. a million times. Yeah. Uh, people who are not part of church right. no, God loves God you. Loves people everyone. hold signs right. yeah, and right, right. you honk when you say, yeah, Jesus loves me. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so I think that's why I keep coming back to meditation because if we take something like Jeremiah, uh, you know, Jeremiah 3 yeah. and and just read through that again into that part where God promises that if we will cast aside our idol, I guess that's technically right. Four, the four, yeah, right? Jeremiah but, four, one and two. But that yeah. part, and, and you just you just read that, yeah. and you sit with it, and you right. let you let your spirit rage the way Will does. You're like, no, yeah. no, no, that's right. not, you know, and, and you just like cut, kick and like eventually if we right. just sort of like, this sounds really it. weird, but like force ourselves to yes. sit. Yeah, I mean, we so often do what Will does in that, in that movie, where we just say, oh, yeah, and then we move on, right? We're interested in moving on with the conversation or whatever, or moving on and doing work or driving or whatever, like whatever we're doing, right? Our, our week is too busy to stop and really think about and question why we feel the way we feel. And, and go into that place of shame exactly. or anger or hurt. Yeah. yeah, and then let ourselves get past that because mm -hmm. that's the real issue. You can't just go into your shame place and be shamed and, and lay then, in it, right? And like, lay in it and cover <laughs> myself with it. And like, that's not, that's not enough. Like that's a good not shame marinade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Really Get in. into my little yeah. shame Ziploc bag <laughs> and just, mm -hmm. zip it closed. So and yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, we, we move through it and we move through the motions and we don't actually stop and meditate or stop and really think it through and let ourselves feel that and let ourselves yeah. fight with ourselves or fight with God or whatever about why we don't feel that way. And maybe we don't know. And I think that's the other thing, you know, and I prayed about it. And I think that's what I've been doing, uh, preparing for this sermon is I have little reminders on my phone on the little reminders app. And I set it for every day at 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. Um, to sit down with a couple of different scriptures and um, that's really good because I hate notifications on my phone, so I want to clear them out. And so then I have to sit down and stop because I'm like, my OCD is going to I just have to get in. rid of this. I have to get rid yeah. of this notification, and all right, if I have to, all right, fine. And so I sit for like 10 minutes, and then my prayer is always because it's hard to penetrate that exterior, that, uh, that thing that we've built up against ourselves, right? Um, 
And so I pray that prayer, God, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? I want to believe, but I'm not there yet. And like I intellectually assent I know to it, this, right? right. Yeah, but I want to, to believe it down in my heart. So help me get there. Yeah, so I, I think just in ways of homework for this week, right? yeah. that, that's what we want to offer yeah. is uh, particularly you've really resonated with uh, what yeah. Ashley brought us from Jeremiah today. Take, just take Jeremiah 3 and the beginning of 4 there, right? Just take right. that with you. And uh, you can, you know, you can use one of the spiritual practice guides yes, that Ashley was holding these. up. Uh, if you're a live chat folks, they're in the, in the description. You can get a PDF there. Right. But there's a really great way to do sacred reading there. You can just spend yeah. some time in Jeremiah 3 and the beginning of 4 there. And just sit with it. And yeah. don't, don't leave it, right? Don't, yeah. don't get angry and throw your Bible across the room, especially if your Bible's on your digital device, right? Yeah. Don't throw it either way, right. but one is going to be more expensive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just do that and just yeah. sit with it and see what happens when you right. just force your, as weird as it sounds, force yourself to let God love you, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, in that really deep way. Yeah. I think you'll be amazed by uh, that kind of what if question you asked of me. What if what if we just did this? What if we just allowed right. God to love us? And nothing more. Not not love us so that we can so that we can be peacemakers, so that we can do this, so that we can do that, so that we can be productive members of society. Not anything other than just feeling loved, because I think that really simple fact is something that I know I miss. Um, a lot, and I think a lot of other people do yeah, as well, absolutely. and that is, I mean, the basis of actual true transformation that enables you to do all of those other things. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, if you'd stand with us, we want to dismiss with a blessing. Um, Catalyst, as you go today, would you go knowing that God, uh, God loves you in this reckless, uh, irresponsible, possibly illegal way, as Ashley pointed out earlier, right? And that if we will, if we will f- if we have the courage to sit with that and face that, God's love will transform us. We, we truly can put away our idols and walk in the love of God's light. So would you go this week uh, knowing that you have the courage to do that by the grace of God's own Holy Spirit? Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.